the leading with love, empathy, action, podcast. Hi, welcome to Love, Empathy, Action. This is Jessica. As always, I have Sharon with me. Say hello, Sharon. Hi. How are you doing, Jessica? Oh, my God. Oh, glad to be here. I'm glad you're here with me. I miss you, although I don't know if I do or not. Makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And we're very, very, very excited to have... Rebecca, but I don't know. We didn't even we didn't even get to talk about you what you wanted to be called. So I'm gonna let you introduce yourself. This is Auntie Vice herself, aka Rebecca Blanton, but she is going, she is the doctor of such education and also is a podcast herself. She has a podcast, Fat Chicks on Top. Y'all need to go check it out. It's live. And she's also also a comedian. So why don't you go let I'll I'll stop talking because if I I'll keep him I'll make her blush. So yeah, <laughs> Auntie Vice, you got the show. Hi. So yeah, um, as Sharon says, I actually have my doctorate in political psychology. Um, my government name is Rebecca Blanton. I'm better known anymore as Auntie Vice um, as my online persona. I reached out to Jessica because my dissertation was actually about the impacts of teaching multicultural education. So obviously that's a hot topic right now. And I've done a lot of education. I'm currently involved in a coalition working on reproductive access and sex ed in Nevada County. Um, so education and the background and policy is still my passion. And now I, uh, I, teach and write about kink and sex ed for adults and occasionally get on stage and perform things. I love it. I love it. And I'm so glad that we connected through Sharon. It was probably the best thing I got from him was you. So thank you. I'll go with the, go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> I love it though, Sharon. So Rebecca, we were anti-vice. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, girl. But I did work. We were talking a little about when you reached out and asked what you wanted to talk about, because I know that you and I have very similar backgrounds as far as our passions and our work um, and a whole lot of other things I'm finding. But you you talked a little bit about um, the importance of incorporating correct history um, for all for all children, for all students, for society as a whole. So I'm going to just leave it at that and let you go. And I'll obviously pop in with questions, but let me know. Sounds good. So when I started to look at education and education policy, and this was in the early, early aughts, starting around 1999-2000, there had already been a long, ongoing conversation about how do we teach American history? What's included, what's not included. Obviously, you can't teach the whole of American history. Every time you create a historic curriculum, choosing who to incorporate, who to leave out, how to frame it, all of these are become how we pass on our knowledge about who we are as a country. And um, I, I'm a big believer in that, and there, there's obviously a lot of... Um, evidence around this, like Butler's theory, that how we represent and how we choose to represent who is American determines who we consider to be American. And it it has huge impacts on the ways people move through the world. I did a big chunk of the dissertation looking at the case of Japanese internment. 
And during World War II, when the orders were signed to create internment camps for Japanese on the West Coast, the argument was that even though Germans were also aligned with the Japanese, we as Americans could tell who was going to be a traitorous German citizen, but the Japanese were so dislike Americans, even when they'd been here for multiple generations, we couldn't tell who was going to be a traitorous Japanese. And that's because race and culture had not been incorporated into this idea of Americanism. And we yes. do that with every group, right? Who we can when we think about what an American is, it depends on what our narrative has been. So incorporating all of that history and representation of that history is important. And in New York, they've been a bit ahead of the curve with multiculturalism. And they, by 2000, they had instituted uh, what they called a diversity requirement, which is in their education for high school students, you had to learn about things like the Harlem Renaissance and Japanese internment and, you know, uh, different different ethnic groups and how they had shaped the U.S. And not only was it had it, did it have to be in the curriculum, students have to pass a regents exam in history. So they were actually tested on this knowledge. And they're Two sides of the debate comes down. One side is like, we have to do this because it shows we're all Americans and we're all incorporated and America's the idea of e pluribus unum, out of many one, all of that. Whereas the other side is, if we want to be, Americans are patriotic first, so if we want rah-rah patriotism, we can't talk about all this other stuff because, you know, we kind of really fucked up on a lot of different aspects and that'll make people disengage. What I found is when I I surveyed uh, several hundred students who were either in GED programs or college programs and saw what they remembered about their multicultural studies, where they grew up, they're obviously all their SES. And what I found is when you talk and you teach students about our really diverse history, what they take away from it is most people are Americans, like race is a quintessential aspect of being an American. And they're much more tolerant of things like interracial dating and, uh, you know, having people run for various positions regardless of race. When you leave that out, people become more patriotic, as in my country, right or wrong. Um, but it is a very racially defined patriotism. So, the question comes down to when we're creating these curriculums, what values do we want our students to come to understand? And if we're going to live to our, our national motto, we've got to incorporate correct history. We can't right. whitewash it. We can't cut people out of it. We can't call, you know, you know, people who are enslaved, we can't call them, you know, farm helpers like they do in Texas and all this other bullshit. Right. Like we actually right. have to be accurate in our representation while remaining age appropriate and stuff. We don't need to teach, you know, that our founding fathers raped children to high school students. That's that's a bit much to swallow. Well, well we that's a need to, to, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that they that they can discover later in life. Um but it, but it is important if we're going to create this idea that America is not defined by the white race, you mm -hmm. got to incorporate everybody else into our history. Right. So we're seeing a lot of this right now um, in, in uh, across the nation, obviously, but in California and certain counties, certain counties in California, we're seeing big pushback from parent groups, from uh, elected school board members, from some 
community groups that are not even affiliated with schools, a big pushback on not only the new um, model curriculum for ethnic studies that was just released by the California School Board, but also the requirement for an at one semester of an ethnic studies course based on the model curriculum, getting huge pushback. So what are some ideas you have or what are some thoughts you have uh, for people that would like to, to kind of learn more about this and maybe get involved in their own counties and communities as far as the curriculum we're, we're um, putting out there for our students? So the Department of Education actually has posted these guidelines, what has to be included like, this is not a secret. We're not trying to infiltrate your children and turn them against you. Generally, what I see is the pushback is it's the the gasping throes of white supremacy trying to cling to we want to create the narrative. And in the U.S. in the last 50 years or so, we've seen a very concerted effort by the right and the Republican Party to marry white evangelicalism, white patriarchy, white supremacy. And so all of this comes down to anything that talks about white people not being these great pillars of behavior is, is terrifying to them. And it's captured folks who feel tenuous about their position in society or their their income and turned it into a race comment when that's not what's actually in the curriculum. So right. I would say look at the curriculum first. It's it's a very watered down curriculum compared to what we could teach. I would love much more anti-vice to be honest. Like I do think it's not <laughs> enough, but <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah. hear you. I hear you. Yeah. My point yeah, is it's a oh sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say so. My my point of that isn't a lot of it is just be, not just because of the white supremacy, but also because of the uh, the movement of groups that used to be from the south that went to now the east, west and they moved from mm-hmm. the east and stuff. And now they're taking their biases with them and using that as their way of well, I couldn't get in the south, couldn't get into this educational. Now I can do that here. Well, my kids shouldn't learn that because we were you know that's that's that makes me feel bad. And you know, it makes me want to, is that the reason why we need to take that into consideration? I think there are a lot of, and if you listen to the commentary by by parent groups and folks who show up to these meetings, because in Nevada County, we have had some of the most extreme reactions. Like, we, we're nationally recognized for the racism that shows up at you our- You did our, beat us there, for sure. You are on oh, top. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Plaza beat us, but okay. okay. Hey, yeah, man, this no, close, we're, we're, close we're, second, baby, close second. <laughs> Um, it, you know, a lot of the narrative is around, well, this will make my white student feel bad. Well, what the Mm -hmm. hell do you think it's doing to every other kid in there? Right. And yeah, there are some things we should feel bad that shouldn't be repeated in our history. Right. Some of the shit that happened was not okay. Um, You know, that's my same same kind of train of thought when I'm asked, um, you know, like, when we're doing equity work, for example, and I'm, I am I work in the business of education, so we're going to stay in that space for a moment. And often, um, you know, we get back with, well, we need to meet people where they are. No, bitch, mm-hmm. you're talking about you want to meet the, you know, the cisgendered white man where he is and where he feels comfortable. But what about our underserved populations in our schools who are not being served? How do they feel? So it's kind of that same exactly. idea of we're, we're keeping the power feeling safe. We're keeping the power feeling comfortable. Um, and that's a, a whole mess in and of itself. But I think a lot of that comes comes in on this this talk about 
what we're teaching students in our schools, you know? Yeah, it really is about protecting white feelings. And when it Mm -hmm. comes down to it, that doesn't need to be the forefront of protection. What we need to do is give kids a realistic understanding of how we got here. Right. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. If we're ever going to move forward, we've got to understand how we at least got to this point. And, you know, again, it needs to be age appropriate. It needs to take into account who's in the classroom. But so much of that requires the people who are teaching, the people who are writing the curriculums, the policymakers to undo their own learning. And, you know, I'm nearly 50 um, and I'm in the group that's making policy. And we had a very different set of history standards than there are now. And a lot of it is unlearning some of those natural biases um, and, and how we how it shapes stuff. And taking in mind that not every kid in there is a cis-heterosexual white kid. Like, right. California, as well as the nation's really diverse. Like, mm-hmm. when we're teaching about the the great mission project of fourth grade here in California, where it's a pet peeve of mine. It's a pet peeve of mine. I cannot... <laughs> And and how all of these missions help settle California. We never address the mass murder and genocide. Yes, that that is a thing for me. And I love that you brought that up because it's a perfect example of what's happening in our curriculum. And so often you brought up our age. I'm very close to your age. And we Mm -hmm. were were brought up like we were different. We had different, but we're our generation is making policy now and they're still stuck at times in, no, we need to build this fucking mission out of paper mache and let it go. Like I just, it's got to fucking stop. I remember doing that. Did you make a, <laughs> did you make a paper mache mission? Well, me, that. my daughter made one. Uh, I know certain people have made one and it's just, you just look at it like, okay, yay. Let's go to a mission. Let's go check it out. Woo. And you just like, don't we know that the bad things of all the stuff they've done here? It's like, no, no, we're not going to say that. Just to look at, woo, look at that. Look at they build. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, yeah. It's an important part of our history. It is. But it's important that the whole part of that history is told. I think a lot of the danger comes in, like you said, Auntie Vice, when we're only looking at it through the eyes of the white male, or I'm not even put white male, white people in general. Mm-hmm. You know, well, so. and what gets missed also in that conversation is if you start early teaching students to think from multiple perspectives, they learn to begin to connect bigger pictures and they become better problem solvers. They become more critical thinkers, which is really what we should be going for. We don't want rote memorization. You want to be able to have a kid talk about the missions, but then maybe read a story about, you know, a native kid growing up in California and then connect it to uh, the gold miners coming over from China all around the same time. And right. And you can do it in little bits and chunks, but then they start to put those together. And over time you create more connection. You realize, and that's how you teach kids to think outside of a single box. Right. And you You, make smarter kids. The myopic happened at the at the same time, right? With multiple different mm-hmm. viewpoints. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes really critical in developing that ability to think. I know when I was teaching at university, uh, one of the things we did so much was we would have every year there was what was called the freshman core text, and they'd choose one book 
And then you'd have to incorporate it into every freshman core class. So you would incorporate it into their psych class, into their math class, and to show how you can pull from different areas to mm-hmm. that impact on each other, that it's not just these little boxed. I see. Yeah, the, these box majors where policy is only here, but we never talk about psychology. Or, you mm-hmm. know, we talk about history here, but we're never going to talk about the sociology of race, right? You, Everything works together. So it, we're in such a system of wheels that there, there it, there's a cog. There's a, is it a cog? A clock? What, what is that? The wheel? A cog. A cog. cog. And there's yeah. a cog in the wheel. Like the, all of the <laughs> systems are going to like, not go right so we're, we're you're absolutely and we have that same system of car- compartmentalizing all the way through our k higher education system and it's bizarre to be honest with you it's super bizarre that we think we can learn when we don't live compartmentalized right right bizarre so right. fix it simple. anti-vice but it's simple <laughs> it was simple tell that's me how the it's point. simple well no that's what i'm saying they're trying to make it simplistic even though it's not they're just they're they're forcing you to make it simplistic and it's even though you're kind of looking at it go well that's wrong well it's not wrong to me well that's wrong yeah and that's the problem i mean um we have a general thing like uh we were talking about grit and everything and Uh how we're trying to push it on the children and even with that being said we you start learning that even in education not everyone's going to be able to generally go the same way. And unfortunately, this is all we got. And that's the way they keep on telling people. It's like, well, no, it isn't. You can do this in three different ways. You just don't want to. Why should we? Same with it. They try to make everything simplistic. Where the the way I worked it, that's like, it's like, that's not, there's so much more you can do. But on device, so when you basically talk about um these things in your dissertation and stuff. Um, what did you, and even now, cause I know it's, you know, it's been decade. It's been a couple of decades and stuff. How is, how does it feel now that some of that stuff you see now in foresight never happened or, or now being used as a way to, Oh, they should have done that before they did this. Now it's almost like a, like a train wreck. Wiser. Yeah. <laughs> that's the whole of American history. Every day we come to race is, it, so I, I spent a lot of time looking about how we deal with race politically, educationally, and all of that. And America's on about a 30-year cycle where it'll come to the fore and there's a bunch of people who will say, we need to do this to change if we're going to move forward, and then there's no political will. And you can take this all the way back to W.E. DeBose coming out with the souls of Black folk, talking about the differences between Black and white folk and and the need to change certain systems. And then, you know, you go forward, you get Gunnar Myrdal coming in in the 30s. He's a Swedish sociologist who studied about race, issued a two-volume tome, a couple thousand pages that he submitted to Congress and said, if you don't change all of this, you're going to have a major civil rights issue, right? Then you get the 60s with the civil rights movement. Like, we do this every 30 years. And we it's like we can see point. what's coming, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, we know what's coming, but like you said, we don't have the political will or the political capital mm-hmm. to, to make so. a change. Mm-hmm. And I get why, if you are in a financial place, you don't feel you deserve right? Which is what it comes down to when people say they, they feel tenuous or whatever, that Beautiful. you feel like you're yeah. d- deserving of more of this rather than go after, you know, 
late-stage capitalism, which is a behemoth and can't be tackled, it's a lot easier to strike out at your school board and say, well, it's because you're teaching about Black folk or Asian folk or Latinx Mm -hmm. folk or whatever, right? And it makes you feel like you have a little bit of power. And I get Mm -hmm. that. We just can't let our school boards be run by that. And we've got to come back and say, no, this is... Yes. I know people aren't aren't comfortable, but it's okay to be uncomfortable. We have to be uncomfortable. We have to be uncomfortable because change change is change is impossible without uncomfort. You know, it's mm-hmm. just it just it because every time you have change, you also have loss. Regardless yeah. of somebody else views that as losses or not, if you have any change, you are inherently going to have some loss, and that's hard for humans to. Mm-hmm. To, to deal with, but just because things are hard doesn't mean we're not, we're going to sit back and not do it. Right. Well, so we're in the place we're at now with our, our, our police system, with our financial system, with all of these systems where they're very oppressive because we've never dealt with it. Right. Mm. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Yeah. And it's all those things we just listed are, I want to say excuses for not dealing with it. I won't even call them reasons. I mean, mm-hmm there are excuses for not doing it. And we're all guilty of it. I am you and we all are. Sharon is like, we're, we're just, it's, it's that, it's that change, that inherited move movement of large amounts of people that we cannot seem to get going. Yeah. Seriously. Speaking of large, yeah. what is fat chicks on top of Auntie Vice? <laughs> this is what happens when you have a producer of two shows on. He, he's got to get the plugs in. Uh, <laughs> So I actually started Fat Chicks on Top a couple of years ago to have the conversations that people weren't having around the way our bodies mitigate the way we move through the world and talk about things like gender and race and how they impact. Because there are a lot of people doing a lot of great work on how to understand why we are at the point we are in the world, how to deconstruct those, how to move past them and, and have these conversations. And it also gives me an excuse to have cool people on the show. I really wanted to talk to for an hour, right? <laughs> That's how I feel too. That's how I feel. Yeah. I get to talk to people. I wouldn't otherwise get to talk to. Yes. Um, that is true. Yeah, there are a lot of people saying a lot of really smart stuff around all of these topics that you and I cover. And sometimes I find listening to them, much more exciting than doing my own work most of the time. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. Same. Y'all do geek out a lot. I can give you that much. Y'all <laughs> both do geek out on y'all shows. So I'm just like that's because you spent an awful lot of time with both of us and it's probably a little bit of overload a bit. A bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I I I can separate the sounds. <laughs> and, and that's the perfect phrase. <laughs> So coming in since it's going to be in this is February stuff. What's coming up in February for you, Auntie Vice? What's the big show? So yes, he he also wants me to plug it. So one of the things I do for fun is I produce entertainment events, and I am a huge believer in seeing a diversity of of people on stage uh, because everybody brings something different to it. So for February, you know, it's, it's Valentine's day. People are getting all sexy. So I produced a, a, an erotic showcase and we have an aerial troupe. We have burlesque performers, drag performers, a couple of musicians, a comedian, you know, all coming out to gold vibe kombuchery here in, in Nevada County in grass Valley. And you can get your tickets and come see all sorts of people strip and set things on fire and twirl from the ceiling um, because there's something really 
freeing about seeing all different bodies happy and in movement and in joy. And um, again, it, when it comes back to education, it's why I push physical education, right? And it's not about being thin and fit and healthy. It's about being comfortable in your own body. Mm-hmm. And for me, it, everything comes back to the body, whether it's history or phys ed or stripping and lighting your tassels on fire on stage. It's about getting comfortable in your own skin. And I think that's fundamental if you're going to move through the world as a positive force. A hundred. You can't have these conversations that we have to have or do this work we need to do if you're not confident in your own self. Hey, can I fly up and stay at your house that weekend? Because I would like to go. Oh, of course. Thanks. Of course. <laughs> I'm so rubber. Oh, yeah. they, they live together, so I could just pick, pick one. <laughs> yes, one of you. <laughs> yes, yes. Most definitely. Feel free to come up. It should be, yeah, it should be a great, great night. Um, and uh, it sounds amazing. And... and I plan on being there. That sounds awesome. I'm so glad you're doing that work. Antivice is so incredibly Thanks. important. So, incredibly important. So, so I was, I was wondering, since y'all both work in the educational system stuff, what, because as they point out in F- Florida right now with DeSanti, based on telling everyone that he doesn't want to put AP uh, African-American history in in the schools or Florida, what is it? What is he scared of that's concerning? Because, I mean, there's been thrown of information like Gator Bait, finding out the word Gator Bait was technically a bunch of Negro children was thrown out there as gator bait and some other things that even even like free free um, t- um cities or free towns that there were out there what is the what in your mind do you see that as concerning them is it the fact that some towns have been destroyed and now they're lakes or the, the disaster under Tulsa what what's the what's the What's the thing that's like, I don't want to tell them because they'll find out what's under the under the the iceberg. <laughs> you know, I, I think I really I really want to hear what Andy Vice has to say about this. But I think first, a lot of our lawmakers don't know that history, Sharon. And they don't know that history because they're they've been taught we're never taught that history. And our lawmakers are white. It's overwhelmingly the power. I mean, that's just who they are, and they don't know that history. But honestly, I think it's 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 fear of losing something. And I think that's where coming at people with love and empathy comes from. There are many people that I do not agree with in this this world, like vehemently disagree with, but I have to approach them with empathy. Why are you feeling what you're why are you not listening? Why are you feeling this? Um, I think it's fear of losing their their power, to be honest, but I don't know. Because that conversation is so hard to have with so many of them, because often we're not coming into these conversations with empathy. We're coming into these conversations with understandably anger and I don't want to say hate, but vehemence, maybe, you know, because it's hard to come at some of these people like, sorry, DeSantos with empathy. Because why is he feeling like he's feeling? What is happening? What happened in your life? What do you think you're losing here? Because they have everything to gain and nothing to lose, but that's not the way they view the situation. So that's my two cents on it. On device. For me, it part of it is first, if you look at AP Black history, AP African American history, it's American history. It's Thank just- you. Yes. Yes. It's just shit we don't teach in our, you know, mainline American history. But it 
would mean legitimizing that history and legitimizing the people who experienced that and who continue to experience the fallout from those historic events. And if you say Black history is American history and Black people are American, then all of the thing, sudden things like voter suppression become much more challenging to argue for and arguing for racist policies like uh, voter ID um, where you're using those to try and suppress votes because you can't win on a legitimate equal platform become much harder to do. Mm-hmm. And it would be people that you have continually targeted as telling these, you know, the the poor white folk in your counties, this is the reason you don't have jobs, right? It's migrants or it's black folk or it's people who don't deserve it. Or the reason your average C student didn't get into a top tier university is they let some, you know, black kid in, right? Um, you lose your scapegoat. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's so incredibly true. That is yeah. Yeah. Once you start to feel and love and and empathize with others, it's very hard to deny them rights and humanity that we all deserve. Hmm. So, yeah, and it, it directly undercuts an entire system of politics and and work. Because if you look at what jobs are considered lowly or shouldn't have you know equal, you know reasonable pay or whatever. A large part of that is based in race. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of the labor theory of, of whiteness, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, we we reconstruct, we socially reconstruct who is considered white based on the jobs they have. And so, if you know, if you recognize Black folk as American, their history is relevant, then all of Because yeah, as it's been pointed out hundreds of thousands of times, white folks have been mad at black folks for working since they stopped working for free. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> got legit- Hold on, I gotta gotta reset. Sharon, Sharon was taken <laughs> aback. <laughs> No, I have I have some issues, um, but anyway, <laughs> but anyway, with that in mind and stuff, what is the what are some of the things that you believe that should be pushed to the society as a whole? Well, not even a whole. Should we start working this as individuals and stuff, or is it more better to work it in groups? Because it seems like a lot of times people people do a lot of this um, education or a lot of this stuff as a whole, it doesn't go anywhere. Whereas if you work a certain group, then that group will take it in whatever way they take it. And then you work from there. What would be the, what would be a, for both of y'all, what would be the best suggestion to our view, our listeners or viewers? Is this going on the webs? Sharon? That face told me everything. Never mind. Don't answer that. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, you have to do, you, you've got to do it at, at all levels, right? right? There's unlearning we have to do on our, our own level and continue to unlearning isn't a one-time thing, right? right. Uh, we, we all grew up, I, you know, it's like my friend Diana has the best joke is I never realized how gay I was because I grew up in, in a, a 
you know, pretty homophobic place, you know, society. I think you're familiar with it. Um, <laughs> right. And so we've all learned these things and continue to take in these messages about sexuality and race and gender and all of this stuff. And you continually have to unlearn it. So you've got to work on your own level. You can work with folks together with it. Um, you know, some of it's shutting up and listening. I think we forget that. A lot of it is shutting up and listening. I think white yeah. folks don't do the best job at that. I see and some black folks don't, don't do, do a good job. At that. <laughs> <laughs> I see some black folks don't do good. Yeah, but I mean, there's plenty of folks who are working in areas of race and gender and sexuality, everything else, who've done really good work. And if you listen to, like, really listen, not listen to respond or anything, but actually hear what they're saying and how it impacts it. That's a big part of, of figuring out where you need to change and adapt and where you're strong. Um, and then we need to s- start working from the bottom up. Uh, I know here in Nevada County, we are desperately looking for Democratic candidates for school board because, good Lord, uh, the the pickings are slim. And, yeah, yeah it was, oh, they're so slim. Uh, <laughs> levels are so important. Sharon and I have this conversation a lot about the importance of being active in local politics and local school board elections and local city council mm-hmm. elections. And that's where action happens. Like we get so, mo- yeah. well, not enough, but many get mobilized for, for state or federal elections, but tend to, you know, overlook local elections for many reasons. A lot of that being advertising, mm-hmm. not knowing candidates, not knowing where their polling places are. Like the, the list of reasons is, but you're so right, Auntie Vice, that the school boards in, in both of those counties up there, let's be real, are uh-huh. frightening, frightening, to be yeah. honest. With and that's where the policies come from. That's where that curriculum comes from, right? That curriculum we started the episode on, That's it's yeah. coming from the school boards that are elected that are largely Republican um, uh-huh. in 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 many counties. But th- those two in particular, I, lear- I learned trial by fire for sure. For sure, for sure. Oh, yeah. Up here, we get some <laughs> cray-cray conspiracy theorists, you yes. know. I'm telling you. You know, another thing I'd say to your 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 question, Sharon, is kind of, and it's all the time thing, individual or groups or whatever, it's just kind of all the time in taking opportunities when they present themselves in order to talk to people that, that you may have a relationship with or may trust you or things like that. Mm-hmm. As an example, I am... Um, you know, I got a new job. So I I took my new, I took my new staff out for happy hour. And um, we had a couple staff members who were so pressed that they had to, with the new um, ed code, they have to put feminine products in bathrooms. I don't know if, who knows that's a new law. It's a new law, but it has to go in boys' bathrooms as well. And I had mm. a couple staff members who were so pressed. They just did not understand why. And they anti-vice you use the word conspiracy theory so i'm gonna throw that in there and there was kinds of reasons why and i just very calmly said we have trans boys on campus and they stopped they stopped talking and they thought and it really they were they they were not being malicious or mean before they really just didn't think about it because it wasn't it's not a center of their life it's not something that's in their normal schema so i think taking Mm -hmm low-hanging fruit opportunities like that to really educate other people around you, not in an antagonistic way, not in a dude, you're a dumbass way or any of those things. Just the the real like, well, this is a, a reason you may not have thought of, but this is real mm-hmm. for us or this is real for our staff. 
because we have transgender members of staff as well, who very well may need feminine hygiene products in the male's restroom. So just bringing up those things, very non-threatening, non-confrontational, just like, have you thought about this? And I think all of these combined with um, local elections and knowledge and, and school board meetings and faculty meetings and all of this, just creating a culture where we can have these conversations and just drop something like that and let it go for a minute. Right. Cause that's how we learn a lot as humans is we have to, especially adult, especially andragogy and how adults learn, you really do have to drop something and walk away and it kind of stews. So I think never letting your guard down to where you let a comment like that go um, is really important. Cause I think silence is acceptance. So um yeah. There's, there's again my two cents, so I think I'm up to almost a nickel, but <laughs> up to a nickel right there is a yeah. five cent action. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you mentioned that I did a, a lecture last week for the sex ed lecture series on incorporating non-binary identities into your lesson right. plans. Yeah. And people often think of this as well, it's just talking about trans folks or you know, they them pronouns, but one of the exercises I have people do is choose a lesson plan and go through, highlight every pronoun, highlight every gendered name, tag every gendered image, and then all of a sudden you start to understand how pervasive it is in what we teach. And so much of it is we don't even recognize what messaging we're sending to kids, but as they're trying to figure these things out and they're looking at the images on the school walls or the language in the books or the percentage of people who are presented as experts of one gender or another, all of this is teaching them about how society is constructed. So looking and breaking that down becomes really critical because for kids who don't fit into the, the predominant power structure, if you're not seeing yourself, a lot of kids don't think things are an option. They don't think that they also don't think that they're validated, that they're mm-hmm. abnormal, whatever the fuck normal means, but they don't right. and they're, because they're not seeing themselves represent, represented in anything around them from their school libraries, which we did an episode on before mm-hmm. to, to even their restroom choice or their locker room choice. Um, they're just not validated. Even if we're not saying it out loud, we're definitely saying it in our actions. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Did we give you a dime's worth, Sharon? Oh, are we still? Oh, we got we got a quarter's worth. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we can put that into the system and call somebody up, <laughs> telephone home. <laughs> but yeah, right. oh, thank you, Auntie Vice, for being here and giving your side, and also giving us some interesting stuff to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And there's more. And I don't know no, if Auntie Vice remembers. But she agreed to do a transgender training with me in Citrus Heights. So we will be up there together. Oh, Sharon didn't know. We'll be up there together <laughs> doing that training. And we will come around if 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 you want us. We are pretty cool, though. So we will do that. And go check out Auntie Vice's podcast, Fat Chicks on Top. And is it February 10th, your extravaganza? Yep. Okay, February 10th. Yes. All right. It check was so good to be yeah. here. Yes, it was so fun to have Thanks for having me on. And, oh, the other thing she already promised, too, she's coming back again. We're doing a second episode. So we just dropped this on Sharon right now. He's like, let me get a notebook. Basically. I'll keep him on the straight and narrow. (laughs) Right? That's right. We're going to keep him busy. So thank you, Auntie Vice. It was 
an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Check us out, loveempathyaction.org. Don't forget to like and subscribe and go over like and subscribe, Fat Chicks on Top. And we will see you around um, Citrus Heights area somewhere in February. (laughs) All right. This has been Leading with Love, Empathy, Action Podcast. Hosted by Dr. Jessica Miller. Production by A Serious Production. For more information, please go to www.leahumanity.com. That's www.leahumanity.com.